Father, open our ears that we may hear you this morning. Father God, we pray that you would open our minds that we might know you this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts so that we may love you this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as I was growing up, my family had houses catch on fire on two different occasions. One, when I was five, we had lightning hit our house, and it burned completely to the ground, and we lost everything. Then again, when I was in middle school, we had purchased a new gas grill, and the propane tank exploded and took off the whole back of our house. So you can imagine that I have seen the destructive power of fire firsthand. You can also imagine my reaction when just a couple weeks ago, Laura and I walked into our kitchen and found a cloud of smoke hovering over our countertop. I kind of panicked, particularly because I couldn't figure out where the smoke was coming from. So I called the fire department, and within minutes, they sent like four fire trucks out to our house, and about 20 firefighters go rushing into my house. My kids loved it, definitely. Thankfully, they were able to, within, really within a matter of minutes, figure out the source of the smoke. What had happened was uh, an, an, an electrical outlet had come loose and was essentially melting. So they were able to take care of it before things got much worse. Do you ever think about where a firefighter or really anybody who works in like high-stress situations, especially ones that involve rescuing people, where they get their confidence. You ever think about that? I'm sure it comes from a lot of different sources, but I think one, place, one reason why they have confidence to do their job is that they are trained. Being well-trained means that you can go into a situation and assess it correctly and respond appropriately. I think another source of confidence comes from them being well-equipped. I mean, for firefighters, you've seen the the big suits that they wear. It allows them to be able to run into a a burning house, not worried that they're going to get burned. It's going to protect them. Finally, firefighters are never alone. I have never seen just one firefighter ever show up to a house. They always come in teams and communities, and so they know that they're not doing this task alone. Well, friends, I'm convinced that our passage of Scripture this morning holds out for us very similar reasons why we as the church can have confidence when we face the things that we face in our life together. Over the last two weeks, we have been looking at the book of Jude. And as I've noted, Jude's letter is a letter of hope for us because the same things that the church was facing in Jude's day are the very same things that the church is facing today. Therefore, uh, Jude's advice and encouragement that he gave to his readers then are, is really the same advice and encouragement that we need to hear as a church today. Jude was writing to a church that was in turmoil because of false teachers that had become part of the church and they were teaching things that were contrary to the gospel. And in particular, they were teaching things that were promoting very sexually immoral lifestyles. And this was influencing other Christians to return to old ways of living and it was causing much confusion. It was causing much division in the church, much like we're experiencing in church today. 
So in response to this, Jude encourages them to contend for the faith. And we've noted that the faith here is the pure gospel, the truth that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, that we're no longer slaves to those old ways of living, those old sinful ways of living, but yet we can be set free to experience new life. So that's where we're going to pick up this morning. And, and in fact, if you've been following along uh, for the last couple of weeks, this is our last sermon on the book of Jude. If you've been following along, you know that Jude starts out his letter by encouraging us to contend for the faith, but he doesn't tell us how to do that. At the beginning, he only tells us why we should. Uh, and that's because of the false teachers that were teaching false things in the church, and it was leading other people astray. Well, today, we're going to pick up in verse 20 throughout the rest of the book. And if you haven't already, let me go ahead and invite you that if you have your scriptures to go ahead and turn with me to the book of Jude. It's the second to last book of the Bible. Again, it's only about a page long. It's really short. Today, in verse 20, Jude's going to come back to this idea of contending for the faith, and he is going to tell us specifically how we do that. And in telling us how we do that, he's also going to show us why we can have confidence as we contend for the faith. So if you've got your scriptures, read along with me, starting in verse 20. He starts out this, he goes, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to those and to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained with flesh. If you have ever flown on an airplane, you know the standard instruction goes something like this. In the unlikely event of a sudden loss of cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will drop from the ceiling. Please secure your own mask before turning to help others. I think Jude, again, in this passage, is also wanting to give us very similar advice. Notice that in verses 20 and 21, he's talking about what we do for ourselves. Build yourselves up, keep yourselves. In verses 20 to 22, he's going to show us what we do for others. The first is kind of an internal. The second, the second set is external. The first is more personal, I guess, the the. Uh, the second is, is more general. The progression, I believe, is actually necessary for kind of the same obvious reason as the oxygen masks because if you're not secure, it's hard to help others. So Jude's going to begin, and he's going to say the first way that, Jude is, that he's going to show us on how we contend for the faith, at least internally, is by building ourselves up in the most holy faith. Another appropriate way of translating that would be something like building yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith. The idea here is to continue on in a work that has already begun. The foundations have already been laid. If you remember back in verse 3 that we looked at a couple weeks ago, he said that it's the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. In other words, this faith is not ours to make up. We don't make it up. We receive it by faith, we live into it, and then we pass it on. False teachers 
by contrast, love to kind of receive this gospel and they love to kind of tweak some things here and there that they don't like, tweak some things that might seem outdated or that are just too difficult to understand and turn it into something that suits their own agenda and say, here's the authentic gospel. That's why we need to be continually building ourselves up by reminding ourselves and each other of the truths of the gospel that we have received. And we need to encourage each other to be always growing in our knowledge and understanding of who God is and what God has done for us so that when false teachers try to pass off a false gospel as authentic, we can spot it and call it out for what it really is. Building ourselves up, by building ourselves up, we are like those firefighters who continually stay trained and prepared for when they're needed. When we stay well-trained in the gospel, then we can have confidence when we encounter false teaching. We can have confidence that we know the truth. And so by building ourselves up in the truth of the gospel, we can also stand united against those teachings that would cause divisions. The true gospel builds up while false gospels divide. Next, Jude is going to tell us that we contend for the faith internally by praying in the Holy Spirit. See, our Lord never gives us a task to do without equipping us with the power to do it. Those of us who have accepted Christ have also received the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that instructs us, that guides us, because it is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us strength to live this new life. And so by praying in the Holy Spirit, at least as Jude is using the phrase here, means to pray under the influence of the Holy Spirit or to pray under the control of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't necessarily mean things, charismatic things like tongues or prophecies, though it doesn't necessarily rule that out. But basically, we contend for the faith by listening and responding to the Spirit's leading. So when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we are putting ourselves in a posture of being able to receive instruction. The Spirit can then bring to mind the things of the scriptures and the truths of the gospels that we have learned. The Spirit can convict us of those places in our own lives where we have allowed false teaching to influence our ways of living and to deal with it appropriately. So having the Holy Spirit gives us confidence that we are well-equipped by the Spirit of the Lord himself to get to live holy and righteous lives, not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's contrast that with false teachers. As we saw last week, false teachers like to come to us and say, say, well, we possess the Spirit too. See, we've had these personal divine revelations or we have our own personal experiences. But then we notice that they go on and they live lives and they teach things that promote and encourage immorality and things that are really contrary to the gospel. And that effectively proves that they do not, in fact, possess the Spirit. Otherwise, they wouldn't be teaching things that are contrary to the Spirit. So we can have confidence because we have the Holy Spirit and it is the Spirit who guides us into the life-giving ways of God. Third, Jude tells us that we contend for the faith internally when we keep ourselves in the love of God. Back in verse 1, at the very beginning, Jude was started off by reminding us of the church's very identity that we are those who are loved by the Father and we are kept by, in Jesus Christ. 
Christians are those whose very identity are as children loved by their father. And they are kept, which means that they are guarded and they are looked after and that we're protected in such a way that nothing can remove us from that state of being, so to speak. So Jude wants to start off by, by giving us an assurance that we are both loved and kept. Then again, in verse 6, as we looked at last week, he uses that same word of, of keeping to describe the punishment of disobedient angels who are kept in eternal chains. And in just a moment, we're going to see in verse 24, describing God's ability to keep you. So again, it's talking about protecting you in a way He's talking about protecting you in a way that nothing can harm you. And we have to understand this particular phrase in that context. Otherwise, it can sound kind of contradictory to the rest of the context. So here's Jude's point when he says, keeping yourselves in the, in the love of God. He says, he's basically saying, in, he's encouraging us to persevere in the truth of what God has done for us and will do for us. And we do that by living out the truth of who we are. We are children of God and God's children live differently because we follow the commands of God. However, false teachers and false teaching encourages the children of God to live contrary to who they are. And it causes us to be ineffective for the mission and for the works that God has given us to do. So then lastly, in this section, Jude encourages us to contend for the faith internally by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, waiting is a very funny thing, isn't it? We usually think of waiting as just kind of sitting around, passively doing nothing until something important happens to us. However, that's not the New Testament's understanding of waiting at all. In fact, actually waiting, according to the New Testament, is actually a very active thing. The writer of the book of Hebrews, I think, says it best when in chapter 10 starting in verse 23 and following, he says this. He says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, friends, we have hope. We have a hope in Christ's return. And it's not a misplaced hope because we know that God is faithful. Until then, however, we live our lives and we encourage each others to live our lives, to live their lives oriented towards that hope. That's how we wait. You can think of waiting as this. When you have someone coming over, when you have a guest coming over, what do you do? Well, if you're like me, you clean fran frantically and you let nothing get in your way until that house is in order and the guest arrives. Christian waiting is a lot like that. We know that Christ is returning and until then we make sure that our, our spiritual house is in order so that when he arrives, we're gonna be ready for him, that we're ready to welcome that. So again, how do we, how do, we do that? We do that by laying aside really all the sinful things in our life that distract us from joyfully doing the works that God has given us to do. And we encourage each other. We build each other up in love and we, because we know that Christ will return and we want to be ready when he does. 
In fact, the, the whole book of Jude is a warning that Christ will come. But when he comes, he's going to come as judge. We looked at this last week. And those who have followed false teaching and have lived their lives accordingly, well, it's not going to go well for them. But for those who endure and persevere in the face of kind of all the turmoil and chaos that is caused by false teaching, then our Lord will come and he will rescue us. And that's why he, Jude goes on and says that we wait for the mercy of the Lord. Now, mercy is a very key word here. Mercy is shown by forgiveness, specifically in not giving someone the punishment that they deserve. In fact, that's the whole point of the cross of Christ. Its whole point is that God is a merciful God who is quick to show mercy and he is quick to forgive condemned sinners when we cry out to him. Mercy is also shown in acts of kindness and compassion to those who are afflicted and are living in the midst of various kinds of turmoil. So we show mercy when we do works that, that seek to alleviate and to, to rescue those who are experiencing various kinds of turmoil. So mercy is an act of compassion and deliverance. And Jude reminds us what this deliverance leads to. He says it leads to eternal life. Now this is one of my favorite phrases really in all of scripture. Because eternal life doesn't just mean living forever. It doesn't just mean living forever. In fact, a better way of translating the phrase eternal life is, means the, the life of the ages or the life of the age to come. You see, eternal life is about a certain quality of life. It's the life that those who are in Christ that we experience now and that we will experience fully when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. So showing mercy then brings the current reality of the kingdom to those who are weighed down by various kinds of turmoil. So friends, that's how we contend for the faith, at least internally on behalf of ourselves, by building ourselves up in the faith, by praying in the spirit and keeping ourselves in the love of God and waiting for Christ's mercy. By these, we can, have, we can contend for the faith externally on behalf of others. And we can do that confidently knowing that we are equipped and we are well-trained in truth and righteousness. And we know that, that we are well-equipped by the Holy Spirit himself. And so we can have confidence to extend mercy to those. In fact, it's the same mercy that we ourselves have received. So that's why Jude's going to continue in verse 21 when he says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garment stained with the flesh. Now friends, at this point, don't forget that Jude is still, is still dealing with issues within the church with false teachers and those who are being led astray by the false teaching. <clears throat> now, if I can be honest with you, the church does not have a really good history of dealing with false teachers and those who are affected by their false teaching. We do one of two things. Either we ignore it and hope that it goes away and becomes not a very big deal, or we throw stones. And both of these ways really expose our lack of confidence because they expose a fear of wanting to do the hard work of properly dealing with false teaching and its effects. Ignoring it or throwing stones only just leads to more casualties. But Jews wanted to tell us that it's mercy and only mercy 
that leads to life. So we contend for the faith externally on behalf of others when we show mercy on those who doubt. Now the word doubt also means to hesitate or to waver between two positions. Let's be honest, doubting is something that we all do at some point or another, and we'll probably do again. As I said last week, false teachers and false teachings are very persuasive. They really are. They have to be. They, sometimes it makes perfect sense, and sometimes it's very desirable, and sometimes even, if, even though we know that it's not true, sometimes we might, think, we might wish, that we, wish that it was. So when we doubt or we see a brother and sister living uh, or doubting and uh, whether it's a concern or a way of living, we're to show mercy. We're to show mercy. And we do this not just by going to someone and saying, hey, you're wrong, but by coming alongside each other and saying, let's work through this doubt together. Let's work through this doubt together. Together, let's figure out what the scriptures really say about this, about this doctrine or this way of living. And let's figure out practices that we can put into place that spur us on into better ways of living. We should never go through times of doubt alone because we need each other. Now, here's the thing about doubt too. If we walk through doubt together appropriately, we can actually come out the other side stronger. Because when we work through doubt properly, it can actually afford us uh, an opportunity to get very clear on matters of truth and matters of righteousness. Think of it this way. Almost every major heretic throughout the, the history of the church has kind of unwittingly been a blessing to the church. Because what it's done is it's afforded the church an opportunity to get very clear on things that it believes about God and about salvation. For example, we wouldn't have our Nicene Creed that we're going to say in a few minutes if it wasn't for a man named Arius wanting to teach that Christ was not God incarnate. And what that did was it, it afforded a man named Athanasius the opportunity to explain very clearly that Jesus was in fact the incarnate God and why that's important. And it's important because the, the chasm that separates God and man caused by sin is so wide that another creation, even a heavenly creation, could never span that gap, that only God himself could be the one to actually span that gap. And so if we deal with doubt appropriately together, we can actually come out stronger because of it. So along with that, Jude goes on, and he encourages us to contend for the faith externally on behalf of others by saving them by snatching them out of the fire. Now, we're not necessarily talking about eternal salvation. That's not something that we do. Only God is the one who eventually saves. What Jude is encouraging us to do is to rescue those who really are on the brink of falling away. Of falling away. I really like the firemen analogy here. Firemen are so confident that they're able to rush into a burning building and bring people out who are in danger of perishing by the fire. So these people that Jude are referring to here are those who within the church are fully convinced and are in danger of falling away. Again, false teachers are persuasive and they're very convincing. Their teaching leads others to believe falsehoods which lead to destructive ways of life. So Jude doesn't just use 
Jude doesn't use the mercy, I'm sorry, Jude doesn't use the word mercy in this particular phrase, but it's still in this context. And I think the best way to think about this is according to the, the Matthew 18 principle. You know, the principle where is if you see a brother or sister in danger of sin, you go to them, and if they refuse to listen, you take, you take more people. The idea is, is that you hold out a hope of restoration because you see them heading for destruction. And that's merciful because those who are feeling the heat of the flame, so to speak, are really being overwhelmed whether they realize it or not. And we can be confident in this because Christ is with us. It's in the context of Matthew 18 that Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name, I will be with you. And so we show mercy by seeking to restore our brothers and sisters. Finally, we contend for the faith externally on behalf of others by showing mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. These others in this particular phrase that Jude is talking about, I'm convinced, are actually the false teachers themselves. That's why he says mercy with fear. He's not saying be scared of them, but to confront them with discernment and great care. Again, false teachers are persuasive, and they by nature do all they can to influence others. And so we show mercy cautiously and wisely. And we believe, and I believe we can still use the same Matthew 18 principle here because these are people who are in the church. And friends, never forget this, that there is absolutely no one, even false teachers, who are not able to receive mercy. There is no one outside of that scope of possibility. Until the day of judgment, God continually holds out the hope of mercy and forgiveness to everyone. That's why we can show mercy even to the people who are causing problems within the church. Now, interestingly enough, Jude expands this by attaching this phrase, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now, friends, in today's society, Christians are often criticized because we like to say, love the sinner, but hate the sin. A lot of times people say, that's not an appropriate phrase. Or a lot of times even Christians say, well, it's just not biblical. Well, I have news for you that when people say it's not biblical, it means that they haven't read the book of Jude. Because this is exactly what he's saying here. This is exactly what he's saying here. You see, we hate sin because we hate it because of the way that it infects and contaminates everybody around it. You see, sin has a way of, of infecting and, and contaminating everything and everyone that comes into contact with it. And so, let me assure you that the illustration that Jude is using here by even the garment stained with flesh, he's intentionally using a very unpleasant analogy. The, re, the garment that he's referencing is actually a tunic, which is basically underwear, and so he's talking about dirty underwear. <laughs> it's the, the same phrase that Paul uses when he says, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. He's wanting to make a point. The, the biblical scholar Richard Bauckham in his commentary on Jude says this. He says, look, the phrase here suggests that Jude's readers, while exercising mercy towards these people, 
must maintain their abhorrence of their sin and everything associated with it, lest they themselves become infected by it. So it is perfectly okay to love the sinner and hate the sin. And maybe we, maybe we need to stop saying it, but show it more. In fact, we must do that. Because you see, sin destroys not only the ones who sin, but it also has a damaging effect on everyone around them. But remember, however, that no sinner, even false teachers, are outside the scope of God's mercy. Now, they may reject it, but the hope of repentance is always held out. However, if they do continue to reject that offer, then again, what do we do? Well, the Matthew 18 principle always holds out excommunication as a, as a necessary option. It's never the first option, nor is it simply throwing stones, but excommunication is actually a mercy because it's a, it's a mercy for the congregation so that the influence of false teachers stop affecting others. And it's a mercy even for unrepentant false teachers because the offer of confession and repentance, again, is always held out. Contending for the faith can seem kind of like a daunting task, can't it? Given pretty much everything we've just talked about. But remember, this is not an individual mandate. This isn't something that we are called to do on our own. We contend for the faith together. Moreover, we don't do it in our own strength. We do it in the strength of God's own spirit that lives within us and Christ who promised to always be with us. And so we know that we're never equipped when we contend for the faith in the way that that the Lord is telling us to contend for the faith. Our task, therefore, is to show the same mercy to others that we ourselves have received. And that mercy is really the only source of life. So we can... Show mercy because we are confident that God is our Savior and that God is our protector, and He will continue to show mercy on us. I don't think that there's any better example in Scripture than Jesus Himself. The one thing that people knew about Jesus was that He He hung out with sinners. The ones and the ones who were always quick to judge Him for it were the Pharisees, the ones who loved to throw stones. Jesus was never afraid to enter into the places of turmoil because he was confident that it is the truth that sets people free. And it is the truth that gives life. And it's the truth, by giving people the truth, he's actually giving them a mercy and showing mercy on them. And we can continue to walk in his footsteps and imitate our Savior because, again, we have his spirit living in us. So that's the truth that the book of Jude holds out for us. Friends, let me assure you, the church of Jesus Christ will always, always be facing some kind of false teaching. It always will. We have the things that are in the church today. In 10 years, it'll be something different. They will, the, the apostles assured us that in the last day, which is basically the time between Jesus coming the first time and when he returns, that there will always be those who are trying to lead the children of God astray. And so when you look around and you see all the chaos and all the turmoil that's both in the world and particularly in the church, I want to commend the book of Jude to you. I pray that it gives you uh, hope to contend for the faith, to merc- mercifully contend for the faith.
and reminds you that God is always protecting you. And I hope that it gives you the confidence to contend for the faith by entering into the messiness of each other's lives. Because we know that Christ's blood has made us pure and has washed us clean. And nothing's going to change that. So in ending our series on the book of Jude, I want to end where Jude ends his letter with, I think, one of the most beautiful and hope-filled hymns of praise and assurance that we're going to find anywhere in the scriptures. And so after everything that we've learned in the book of Jude, he ends by saying this, and I want to commend this to you. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.